We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 592 of the Pack-A-Day podcast. I am your emergency host for the evening, Andy Herman. You can always follow me on Twitter at AndyHermanNFL. Usually you would be joined by Mike and Chris and Tyler, but uh, they were unavailable tonight, so I am filling in. And uh, unfortunately for you, you're going to hear me two days in a row as tomorrow uh, I will be joined by the one and only Bailey Burmaster, uh, which I'm really excited about. So uh, tomorrow, Bailey and I will kind of go more into a lot of the topics that are kind of up to date, some of the things that have been happening uh, potentially in free agency in the draft, kind of covering what happened during the season with Bailey and some of her biggest takeaways. So really looking forward to that tomorrow. But uh, today I figured I would take just kind of a step back and and look at something uh, maybe a little bit different. I wanted to take a look back at the 2016 NFL draft. We're going to be jumping pretty hardcore into draft season and you know, one of the things I always say is it takes about three to four years to truly evaluate a draft class. Well, we're in 2020 now, so we can really take a look back at that 2016 draft class. I kind of did a article earlier this year on on this specific topic uh, because of exactly that, because this is kind of the time where you can kind of start evaluating uh, how in this instance, Ted Thompson and the Green Bay Packers did in that draft. And I kind of did a deep dive on it. I kind of went pick by pick and went over some of the different options 
options that were available to the Packers and uh, what maybe they could have done differently, what they did well, and some of those sorts of things. So I know we're kind of in the age where as soon as the draft is done, heck, as soon as a pick is done, we're immediately assigning grades and evaluating it. But I really do think that a lot of times it does serve a purpose to go back and look at some of those earlier drafts, like I said, usually about three, four, maybe five years ago to see how they kind of panned out and really kind of evaluate it to a little bit of a greater degree. So with that being said, let's take a look today at the 2016 NFL draft. And we will start with the first pick that the Packers had in that draft. As most of you know, that was pick 27. Kenny Clark out of UCLA, and what a pick that ended up being. Certainly one of the centerpieces of the Packers defense. Uh, Certainly has been somebody that has continued to progress year after year. Uh, Was drafted very young. He's still very much in the prime of his career and set to be uh, a very highly paid defensive tackle in this league. Uh, And that will be a contract that will likely get done sometime in the near future, you would think, for the Packers. But I still always like to take a look at these picks and see what other options Green Bay may have had a available. So I know a lot of a lot of people at the time, myself included, really wanted to see a pick out of UCLA when Green Bay made this selection. Uh, it just wasn't Kenny Clark. It was linebacker Miles Jack, who had fallen down draft boards uh, due to kind of some of the injury history that he had had and some of the injury risk that was there with taking him. A lot of, uh, you know, a lot of the medicals would show that maybe he wasn't going to last very long in the NFL. Uh, his injury history has been pretty good so far throughout his career. It hasn't really been an issue, uh, but that was certainly the concern uh, and, and one of the major reasons that Miles Jack went from what many people thought was going to be a top 10 selection uh, into the, the set early second round of the draft. So uh, a lot of people, again, myself included, thought that uh, when UCLA was announced that maybe this was going to be Miles Jack, but I think a lot of people were kind of caught by surprise that, that this was Kenny Clark. And, uh, you know, I don't think a lot of people were clamoring for Kenny Clark, uh, but it certainly has turned out to be a phenomenal pick and certainly somebody that turned out to be better than the defensive linemen were that were available at the time, better than the next few picks that were on the board at the time, and certainly better uh, than Miles Jack has played up to this point. So let's kind of go over, first of all, the next five picks in the draft that were taken after Kenny Clark. So Josh Garnett got taken by the 49ers. Uh, he was out of the league last year, so that just kind of goes to show that. Robert Kimdichi, uh for the Arizona Cardinals. He also got released and was basically out of the league. Vernon Butler's had a nice but mostly unspectacular career for the Panthers. Jermaine Effetti, kind of the same thing for the Seattle Seahawks at offensive tackle. And then Emmanuel Ogba, basically the exact same thing. He's bounced around a little bit as well at defensive end. So you talk about you know, pick 27, Kenny Clark, followed by Garnett, Kimdichie, Butler, Infetti, and Emmanuel Agba. And I mean, it's not even close. Kenny Clark is easily the best of those, you know, six selections right there. Uh, and then you kind of look at the next five defensive tackles that were selected. So let's just take a look at what was on the board. Let's say Green Bay was destined to take a defensive tackle at that selection. The next five defensive tackles that were selected, Robert Kimdichie, Vernon Butler, as we discussed, then Chris Jones, which is a really interesting conversation, and then Austin Johnson and Sean Robinson. So I think the the real only conversation here is, 
who would have been a better selection, Kenny Clark or Chris Jones? Now, I don't think anyone's wishing Kenny Clark away or wishing that uh, they would have selected anyone besides Kenny Clark at that at that specific you know selection. But Chris Jones is an interesting conversation. He's been really, really good for Kansas City. Is a better pass rusher than what Kenny Clark is. I would say Kenny Clark's a better run defender, but uh, that's a really interesting conversation to have. Uh, Jones has a little bit more size. He's about to get probably franchised by the Chiefs uh, so that they can keep him around. But uh, this is a th- that's an interesting discussion to have. But if you kind of go back and look at the busts that happened around that pick, not only the ones that we discussed already, but Josh Gardett, uh, Robert Kimdichie, Jermaine Effetti, Emmanuel Agba, Kevin Dodd, uh, the Titans outside linebacker from Clemson, also out of the league, did nothing. Noah Spence, edge rusher, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, also did nothing. Reggie Ragland started with the Bills, traded to the Chiefs, a little bit of a resurgence with, a resurgence with the Chiefs, but still well below expectations. Kamalai Correa hasn't done much and switched teams as well. Austin Johnson, Jihad Ward, these are all busts that happened pretty quickly after that Kenny Clark kick. So, uh, pick. So, kudos to Ted Thompson and company for making that selection. He was a really young player, mostly unproven at that point. They were drafting based off of potential. He definitely showed flashes at tape. He definitely showed the ability to hold up at the point of attack, but this was not a rumored player that Green Bay was going to be taking at pick 27. Uh, They went uh, pretty aggressively to get him and it turned out phenomenally. So a lot of credit there. Unfortunately, the next pick that I'm going to talk about is not the exact same scenario in any way, shape, or form. So uh, Green Bay, with their next selection, actually moved up. They took, uh, they traded picks 57, 125, and 248 up to, uh, to selection 48, where they selected Jason Spriggs, the offensive tackle. And uh, this, to say the least, did not turn out the way that Green Bay and Ted Thompson expected it to turn out. Now, I remember very specifically uh, scouting Jason Spriggs and you talk about, you know, high RAS score type players, high athletic score, athletic thresholds and flashes of unique talent on the field. Jason Spriggs had everything from a pure talent standpoint, a high upside standpoint. Jason Spriggs had the talent and the ability to be a top tier tackle in the NFL. There is zero question about that. But I remember very clearly uh, what my biggest concern was with him at Indiana is there were mental lapses that were on the field. You would see him dominate for stretches, and then he would, for whatever reason, just allow a quick pressure or allow somebody just to get by him completely unexplicably uh, that, that he should have been able to handle easily. And there were these glimpses of complete you know, mental lapse or just, I don't know if it was effort or if it was mental or whatever it was. There, you know, he would look great for stretches, and then there would be a player that would beat him clean, and he'd be like, "What? What just happened?" And that was my biggest concern with Jason Spriggs at the time. Now, when you're when you're selecting a player like this, the upside screams. There's so much talent, there's so much potential, and and tackles with that type of ability don't come along very often. So, uh, picking a player like that, hoping that he hits his upside and that he could be a serviceable tackle, that's the Chad Clifton blueprint right there. They took him early in the second round. He had showed flashes of that potential. They uh, basically made him into a dominant left tackle at the NFL level, and the rest was kind of history. That was exactly the blueprint that they were trying to follow with Jason Spriggs. 
unfortunately it just never happened. And that, that big red flag that I and many others had uh, from watching him at Indiana was was what eventually manifested itself at the NFL level and those lapses and those blown plays became even more prevalent at the NFL level and he was just never able to play with any consistency and every once in a while he would still show some of those flashes uh, that he would you know look like he could be a maybe not a a starting caliber tackle but at least maybe a swing tackle that you could trust uh, to play left or right tackle in a pinch it, and it just never worked out. And then he's had the injury issues as well. This was a, a pretty big swing and a miss. If you look at the next five picks at the, on the board at that point, thankfully not a ton that really went well. Uh, Jerron Reed, the defensive tackle for the Seahawks, is a free agent. Nick Martin, the center for the Texans, has never really worked out. Christian Hackenberg may be the only player that could really claim it around that standpoint to be a bigger bust than, than Jason Spriggs, I guess. Uh, Deion Jones, really nice career at inside linebacker for the Falcons. That would have been a complete game changer. And then Sua Cravens, another player that's bounced around to a couple teams and has not done very well for himself either. So uh, this was, uh, there was not a ton there. I will say this, the player that I was really interested in uh, with that pick, I mentioned Miles Jack was kind of my guy with that first pick. Uh, Ted Thompson certainly right there picking uh, Kenny Clark over uh, Miles Jack. In this pick, Cody Whitehair was the guy that I liked. And uh, White Whitehair was uh, a player who played some tackle at Kansas State, was always uh, expected to pay, uh, you know, move inside either to guard or to center. Uh, he's had a nice career for Chicago. The ironic aspect of this is that Green Bay moved up for Jason Spriggs, at least the, the you know, kind of the rumor has it that Green Bay moved up for Spriggs because they were under the impression that the Bears were going to select Jason Spriggs before he was going to fall to them at pick 57. So they moved up ahead of the Bears to take Jason Spriggs. The Bears end up taking Cody Whitehair and unfortunately end up getting the, the much better end of that deal. You take a look at uh, the the next five offensive tackles that were taken, and and you start to get an idea of why Green Bay pounced and tried to get on the Jason Spriggs bandwagon. Sean Coleman, LaRaven Clark, Ross uh, Adabambo, uh, sorry, uh, not exactly sure the pronunciation there. He's a Seahawk. Uh, Gerald Hawkins and Alex Lewis. And you look at the talent at that position after Jason Spriggs. Spriggs was the last the last offensive tackle that showed that he could potentially be a true starter in this league. And Alex Lewis, LaRaven Clark, Ross Adebombo, uh, you know, they've all had nice cups of coffee in the NFL, but Jason Spriggs was the last tackle on the board that had the ability to be a true starting caliber and potentially Pro Bowl type caliber offensive lineman if he put everything together. There was a massive drop off from that point forward at that tackle position. Green Bay moved up. They got their guy in Spriggs. It didn't work out. That certainly happens from time to time, but uh, certainly a major swing and a miss for the Packers at that point. Um, One other name that was on the board at that point uh, that kind of makes you cringe a little bit, Kevin Biard, uh, the safety for the Titans, who has had a you know near all pro caliber career up to this point at the safety position. Uh, he was available at that point. He would have been a massive selection for Green Bay there. So that's a, another one to kind of keep an eye on. At least I guess it wasn't Tampa Bay who a, a few picks later picked a kicker in round two in Robert uh, Roberto Aguayo, and then who ultimately failed miserably and was out of the league very quickly. So I guess they got a little bit more out of Jason Spriggs than Tampa did with Roberto Aguayo at kicker. So I guess some small takeaway there. 
Let's take a look at the third round selection, and that was Kyler Fackrell at pick 88. Uh, this was a pretty solid selection, and I think if you talk about late third round picks, you're still getting a top hundred player, but uh, the, the talent starts to drop off, you know, a little bit at that point. I think getting an edge rusher there, who's maybe flashed a little bit from time to time, I thought he had a really good 2018 season. Uh, 2019, he kind of, you know, ended up being the third and sometimes fourth uh, edge rusher for the Packers. Uh, really struggled earlier in his career, but you know that 2018 season was pretty nice. I, I don't think you're going to be too upset about getting a a pretty solid rotational pass rusher at the end of the third round uh, at that point in the draft. Certainly not, uh, you know, a super exciting selection. Certainly not somebody that, uh, you know, was a game changer for Green Bay, but a solid player. And you need those type of players on your roster. And I think Kyler Fackrell has been a little bit underrated throughout the course of his career. And uh, it's it's not like, you know, these type of picks are, are turning out all the time. Uh, that being said, there were certainly some players on the board at this point that would have been some nice selections. But I'll start with edge rushers that were available. The next five edge rushers that went after Kyler Fackrell. Fackrell, Charles Tapper, Matt Judon, Tyrone Holmes, Anthony Zettel, and Daddy Nicholas. Uh, Matt Judon certainly has had a really nice career. I think you can make a strong argument that uh, Judon would have been the the better selection than Kyler Fackrell there, certainly based off of what Judon's done the last couple years in Baltimore. But, uh, you know, overall, you know, you take a look at the next set of edge rushers, you know, one out of five guys were better than Fackrell. And I think Fackrell had the the leg up on the other group, you know, the other players on that list. So uh, from an edge rusher standpoint, I think for the most part, they're okay with that. And Judon didn't really come on strong and really until the last couple of years, uh, to say the least. So uh, you take a look at the next five picks that were taken immediately after Kyler Fackrell, uh, Javon Hargrave, uh, taken by the Steelers, defensive tackle, CJ Proceis, Jacoby Brissett, Brandon Williams, the cornerback, and then Cody Kessler, the, the, the quarterback from USC. So the, the big name on this list for me is Javon Hargrave, who's under the radar, had a really nice career, and is probably going to get paid uh, some pretty nice money this offseason as an unrestricted free agent. Uh, he's had a nice career for the Steelers and really has outperformed expectations. CJ Proceis has never worked out in Seattle. Uh, Brandon Williams, the cornerback, hasn't worked out. Cody Kessler hasn't worked out. Jacoby Brissett's a, an interesting conversation. Um, you know, he's he's done a, a an okay job as a backup quarterback, but uh, you know, he doesn't probably move the needle, and he's certainly not an heir apparent type quarterback. Would have been a really nice backup, I think that's fair to say. But you, you know, you look at those next five picks, and you know, Javon Hargrave's probably the best, but Kyler Fackrell is probably the next. So, not not a bad selection at that point. A couple other names that were on the board pretty soon after: Joe Schobert, the inside linebacker from Wisconsin, uh, who is you know a free agent, and you know the Packers are rumored to be interested. I think it's safe to say that you know Green Bay would have uh, liked to have Schobert over Fackrell, and he would have been a really nice piece at inside linebacker through the course of the last four years. Uh, Tavon Young, the cornerback from Baltimore, and then you know another big one, Justin Simmons, the safety from Denver, who uh, you know it really came on strong this past year, and he's going to get franchise tagged in Denver. And uh, you know he he really had an impressive season and broke out with Vic Fangio this past season in Denver. So uh, he would have been a nice selection as well. But overall, Kyler Fackrell, solid player, four year uh, player, starter in 2018. At least you know was basically the starter in, in 2018 because Perry and Matthews had rough years, and Fackrell was uh, the best edge rusher on the roster at that point. But uh, a solid selection, if if nothing spectacular. 
Fourth round comes along, pick 131, and Green Bay selects Blake Martinez out of Stanford. Uh, really nice selection here. I mean, it's, it's tough to find an inside linebacker in the fourth round that can have an impact for you. And uh, this is, I know, kind of a a hot button topic always with Blake Martinez is, you know, just how good is he? I think he's going to get paid on the open market this year. And I think if you could find a player like Blake Martinez in the fourth round every year, I promise you, you would take that and, you know, say what you will about Blake Martinez. And trust me, I've been, I've been pretty tough on Blake Martinez. I, I think it's time to move on. I think Green Bay is going to move on. And I don't think he's had, uh, you know, a, a great career in Green Bay. I think he's a serviceable, but unspectacular player at inside linebacker. But as I mentioned, if you can find a player like Blake Martinez in the fourth round at pick 131, you take him 100 times out of 100. So this is a really nice selection. You take a look at the next five picks on the board and one's going to catch your eye for sure. Uh, the first one was Willie Henry out of Baltimore, Richard Robinson, uh, Kenneth Dixon, and then of course, Dak Prescott and Devontae Booker. So Prescott's the name that really catches your eye there. And that's a really interesting and, and kind of fun conversation to have as a, a what if, what if Green Bay would have selected Dak Prescott instead of Blake Martinez? Uh, certainly uh, Green Bay would have had a hole at that inside linebacker position that they would have had to fill in another, another way. And it's tough to imagine that Green Bay still wouldn't have given, uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers, you know, his his uh, super, you know, highest paid player in football deal. But uh, that that's an interesting conversation. What what would have happened from there? Likely he shows well in preseason and shows that he has the capability of playing and maybe Green Bay turns that fourth round pick in a couple of years as a really nice backup quarterback into a second round pick. But I think maybe the more interesting question there is, there was a season in there, as you all know, where Brett Hundley played a good portion of the season. What if that was Dak Prescott instead of Brett Hundley? And that was before Aaron Rodgers got his big contract. So we could go down that rabbit hole forever and, and what would have happened. And, and who knows, like I said, likely it just ends up being that, uh, you know, Green Bay flips him maybe for a first or second round pick. But uh, that that's an interesting conversation and, and a fun one to kind of look back at. But you're not going to, you're not going to complain about Blake Martinez in the fourth round. That's for sure. And you take a look at the next uh, five linebackers were selected. Kentrell Brothers, Antoine Williams, Jatavis Brown, Devontae Bond, and Josh Forrest. I mean, next to nothing. Uh, Green Bay kind of got the last uh, best inside linebacker on the board. Uh, Jatavis Brown had a nice first and kind of second year of his career and then just completely fell off and uh, was never the same after that. So they got the best linebacker on the board, uh, but certainly an interesting conversation had they selected Dak Prescott at that position. Next pick, 137 overall, fifth round, Dean Lowry. Another really nice pick, and this is a player who's already earned his second contract, has been a, a really solid player at the defensive line position. Uh, you know, I don't know that he necessarily lived up to his contract this past season, but I do think that this is another really solid selection. And again, pick 137, if you have the opportunity to select a player like Dean Lowry at that choice, again, you'll take it 100 times out of 100. Uh, you take a look at the next uh, five picks that were on the board. Nothing too exciting. Seth Devolve, Cardarrell Jones, now in the XFL. Uh, Tajay Sharp, a solid receiver for the Titans. Zach Sanchez, who's out of the league, and Ronald Blair, uh, a nice uh, defensive lineman for the 49ers, a little bit undersized. Not sure he would have fit well uh, within uh, the defenses that Green Bay's ran over the course of the last couple of years. But, uh, you know, I think Green Bay got the best of the, the next five picks uh, out of Devolve, you know, Jones, Sharp, Sanchez, and Blair. I'm going to take Dean Lowry out of that group. Now, that being said, 
you take a look at the next few defensive linemen selected, the next, you know, interior defensive linemen. I already mentioned one in Ronald Blair. Quentin Jefferson's had a nice uh, career for the Seahawks and and should get a decent uh, free agent contract this season. Uh, But the next two, Matt Ioannidis and DJ Reader. Matt Ioannidis, most people aren't going to know. The Redskins have been a bad team, and they've got Jonathan Allen and a really you know nice group of of defensive linemen uh, there in Washington. It's really only the the one uh, strong position that they have. But Matt Ioannidis, under the radar, has had a really nice career and has been a really nice draft pick for them. So uh, I think there's an argument to be made that Ioannidis would have been a a better selection than Lowry, but it's close. But the next one for sure, DJ Reader, the Houston Texan, has been fantastic. And he's going to get paid this offseason as well. In fact, he's one of the the players that I would love, 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 love Green Bay to go after to kind of play next to Kenny Clark, fill some of those running gaps, let the, you know, do the dirty work on early downs so that Green Bay can get into some of those third and long situations and use their speed and athleticism. But uh, you know, I think Dean Lowry is a solid pick here uh, with Matt Ioannidis and DJ Reader on the board. You know, maybe maybe they could have done a little bit better, but uh, again, you look at the next five picks and you look at the defensive linemen and the remainder of the draft as a whole, this is a really, really solid pick of Dean Lowry in the fifth round. Pick 163, not too many picks later. Uh, this is going to be another interesting conversation to have. Uh, Green Bay selected with pick 163, Trevor Davis. Uh, the next five picks, the next three all really, really interesting. I get to butcher this name. Uh, Big V, Hilipaladavadi uh, Viatai, out of uh, Phil, you know, who's drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles, who I have mentioned on the podcast recently as a potential right tackle option for Green Bay. Uh, he was the very next selection after Trevor Davis. The next selection after that, Tyreek Hill. The next selection after that, DJ Reader, who I just talked about. Then it was Marquis Christian and Spencer Durango. You can forget about those two, but uh, Green Bay selected Trevor Davis over Big V, Tyree Kill, and DJ Reader, and and that's certainly a miss. And, and le- you know what? I'm let's address Tyree Kill first because that's kind of the elephant in the room at this point. Uh, from a pure football standpoint, Tyree Kill is one of the best players in the NFL. I have no problem with Green Bay not drafting him there for obvious reasons. I'm not going to get into that. This is a podcast that's meant for fun, uh, not for uh, confrontational topics. That's not what I want to be here for. Uh, But you can kind of make that determination on your own as to whether or not you would have uh, sacrificed some of the off-field concerns for the on-field talent. Uh, Like I said, that's your call uh, of whether or not you would have uh, made that decision. Uh, But certainly just from a pure on-field standpoint, uh, going from Trevor Davis to Tyree Kill with him still being on the board, that stings from, again, just a pure on-field standpoint. Whether or not uh, you know you were able to reconcile you know some of the, the off-field issues, again, that, I'll leave that up to you. But from a pure talent standpoint, that's an interesting conversation to have. Uh, Big V would have been a, a nice selection and, and really would have been the player that Green Bay would have loved to have in, in Jason Spriggs to now step in for Brian Bulaga at right tackle, develop him for four years, move on from Bulaga, get younger, get more physical, get stronger, uh, a little bit healthier. This would have been a really nice player to have probably could have played maybe a little bit inside. Maybe they wouldn't have signed Billy Turner. Uh, but I, I think he's probably a pure tackle, uh, you know, for the most part, but uh, I think this would have been a really nice selection. And like I said, probably would have been somebody that could have, uh, you know, kind of taken the reins from Brian Bulaga at this point. And then DJ Reader, uh, we already talked about just a, a really big run stuffing defensive tackle. That would have been a, that would have been a huge selection for Green Bay. So definitely uh, some meat left on the bone with this pick. Trevor Davis, 
you know, decent returner for, uh, you know, a couple seasons, but also made some pretty big mistakes and never really developed as a receiver. Green Bay was able to at least get back a little bit of draft capital from the Raiders this past year. Uh, but, uh, you know, at pick 163, you're not expecting a ton. I'd say they probably got about what was average and maybe even a little bit above average for pick 163. Uh, but there were certainly some talent left on the board there. Uh, next five receivers that were taken after Trevor Davis, we already talked about Tyreek Hill, Rashard Higgins for the Browns, Moritz Boringer, who is now, a, you know, basically has been a practice squad. They've tried to move him to tight end, has done nothing. Keenan Reynolds, who was a quarterback out of Navy, never done anything. I think he's now in the XFL as well. And then Jakeem Grant, you know, really great returner and a better receiver than Trevor Davis. You know, you, like I said, you can reconcile how you will the Tyreek Hill decision, but if you even just compare apples to apples, Trevor Davis versus Jakeem Team Grant. Grant's the better returner. He's a better kick returner. He's a better punt returner. He's a better receiver. He's a better gadget player. So uh, that that definitely you can say, that, and there's no off-field issues there. Certainly a short, small uh, player, but an electric one and uh, one that would have fit a little bit better probably than Trevor Davis did. Let's move to the sixth round. Uh, pick 200 was Kyle Murphy, the offensive tackle uh, out of Stanford. This was actually Green Bay's last selection. Uh, next five picks on the board, Brandon Allen, Anthony Zettel, Daddy Nicholas, Jordan Lucas, Harlan Miller, nothing there. I mean, Brandon Allen started a couple games for the Broncos last year, didn't show him, you know, a bunch, you know, he would have competed with, uh, Tim Boyle, uh, for the backup spot over the course of the last couple of years. I don't think he moves the needle in any direction. And, uh, you know, frankly, and I'm not just saying this cause I'm a Tim Boyle stand. I think Tim Boyle is the better prospect between him and Brandon Allen. So no harm there. The next five offensive linemen taken, Joey Hunt, Ted Karras, Donovan Clark, Vidal Alexander, and Austin Blythe. Austin Blythe, really nice career. So uh, there was one player left on the board kind of there in Austin Blythe. Uh, that would have been a really nice pick. Couple other positions that were there. Landon Roberts has had a really nice inside linebacker career for the Patriots, and Jalen Mills has had a pretty solid career as a corner for the Eagles. Uh, but not not a ton there. And you know, again, you get to pick 200, and you're going to miss on a lot of guys. Kyle Murphy actually started a couple games, uh, provided some depth for a while. I think probably, again, he's probably above average or around average of what you're kind of expecting to get out of pick 200. Never really turned out. I think he's still hanging around the league. I think he was on a practice squad last year. I didn't look it up, but uh, not a brutal pick, but you know, kind of, again, what you expect out of pick 200. So that finishes everything up. That was the uh, 2016 NFL draft for the Packers. It was Kenny Clark pick 27. It was Jason Spriggs in the second round, followed by Kyler Fackrell, Blake Martinez, Dean Lowry, Trevor Davis, and then Kyle Murphy. So overall, uh, a pretty solid draft. I mean, picking up uh, Kenny Clark, getting, uh, you know, that's a, that's a, a pretty home run pick you know, for, for the end of round one and certainly has exceeded expectations. Pretty much an F grade for moving up to take Jason Spriggs, a solid selection with Fackrell and Blake Martinez and Dean Lowry back to back to back. Uh, Trevor Davis and, you know, uh, Kyle Murphy, again, kind of what you expect out of those later round selections. You get a little bit of production out of them for a couple of years. They don't end up uh, being anything special and you kind of move on. And the fact they were able to, you know, kind of get some of that draft capital back from Trevor Davis with the trade the last year helps that as well. So that is my recap of the 2016 draft. I think it's always fun to look back at these drafts and see exactly how Green Bay performed. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, join me back tomorrow as, again, I'm joined by special guest Bailey Burmaster. We'll have a ton to talk about in kind of more recent and current events, not going back to 2016. But uh, this is a, a one-off uh, fun episode to kind of discuss as a emergency fill-in. So thanks for joining me today. Always appreciate you as always. But until next time, go Pack Go. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.